media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. Anybody remember when you were a young kid getting socks or underwear for Christmas? And do you remember that? I mean, all you can think about is your friends getting the latest toy, um, the latest electronics, the latest whatever. And, you know, there are certain things that you could pick up underneath the Christmas tree, perhaps, and you just knew from the box, okay, it shook, it made noise, it's not closed. And then there's other things, it was kind of squishy a little bit, and you could tell, ah, it's probably socks or it's probably underwear. It's probably one of those things, and you tried to have some joy over it, but... You know, for a kid, it's kind of the lowest of lows, the, the heartbreak of heartbreaks. Now, forget the, the fact that maybe you really needed new underwear. Maybe, forget the fact that you really maybe needed new socks. It's not what you wanted. Next week, we begin an Advent series. And if we look historically back at the time that it was written, eight centuries before the coming of Christ, we, we see the nation of Israel, we see, we see the people of God, and they were in captivity. And they wanted a savior. And here they get this promise from Isaiah that this Messiah is going to come. And yet what they had in their mind was a different Messiah than the one that God was going to bring. God was going to bring the savior, the Messiah that the world needed. And yet, so oftentimes we think, well, you know, if we would have been back there, maybe we would have made that mistake. No, guys, we would have made that mistake. Because even in this day and time, even as believers... Even for people who love Christ, and we know that Christ loves us, isn't there kind of this modeling that we just want certain things from our Messiah, from our Savior, from our God? I mean, maybe not to the extreme of this, like, Santa Claus kind of God, that, okay, here's our wish list, and he just does it. But don't we have certain things in our lives that sometimes is confusing to us of why God hasn't answered this prayer or that prayer? Because they seem to be legitimate prayers. They seem to be legitimate needs in our lives. Maybe it's the salvation of a friend or a family member. Maybe it's the health of somebody that we love and care for. And, and there's nothing evil in our request. And, and yet when there's a delay or when that doesn't get answered, we begin to, to really want the Messiah, this Savior, this God. It's kind of our own making. I, I thank God this morning that he did not Stoop down to our needs and stoop down to the needs that we would have that we were thinking so immediately and that this is what God should do. But that he is always holy. He's always seeking his glory. And he is always working things, folks, not only for his glory, but for our good. I I can't expect my my little grandchildren to understand that. Uh, Every other year we have Christmas early at our house because so that... uh, our daughters can go with the son-in-laws. One lives in, in uh, Oklahoma, or his family lives in Oklahoma, so that they can have that freedom to, to be able to go. And, and so we had Christmas uh, the other day. And it's a great joy as a grandparent, you know, to see your grandkids and they open up their presents. At the same time, honestly, there is that little bit of disappointment because you see how a four-year-old reacts sometimes to that's not what they wanted. I mean, there's no shame for them to throw the toy down or put it off or want to go grab what brother and sister have or something like that. I mean, there's really no, you know, as much as you try to train them, now be gracious, be kind. You know, even when you get the 
full-size pajama, bunny pink outfit, you know. Tell grandma that you like it. And yet there's no hiding that. I wonder sometimes that we think that we're just graciously hiding things from God. When we really want this kind of Messiah, we want this kind of God, we want him to answer the way that we have been prayed. And that when God hesitates or doesn't even answer that prayer in the way that we thought it should be answered, that we don't stop and say, okay, God, thank you that you're the God that you are, instead of the God of our own making. A lot of times in the Christian life, you can love Jesus, folks. You can be guaranteed that Jesus loves you and still have some confusing times along the way where God is doing something that you can't imagine. He's doing something bigger than you could ever fathom. He's doing things in the way that God, for his glory and for our good, is doing things that we could never see. In many ways, even as Christians, maybe we've walked with Christ for 40, 50 years. In many ways, we're still kind of like that four-year-old. Wouldn't you agree that there's a part within us that really does want God just to kind of be there to answer any need that we would deem the most appropriate the, 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 the highest of, of all concerns. Well, we see a little bit of that in John 11. It, it, we find if you are familiar with the word of God and, and the story of uh, the life of Christ, and we, uh, this is maybe familiar. It's the time when one of his good friends passes away, a man by the name of Lazarus. In John 11, this is an encounter of Christ in his ministry with a family that he knows well. And, and the Bible says that they love him and he loves them. It's the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're close, intimate friends. Most believe that when Jesus was in this area, that's where he would stay. That he would stay there in Bethany with them overnight. And you can only imagine. You know, you have friends that, okay, you say hi to. And then there's friends that you welcome for the weekend. And they sit around your table and they eat with you. And you have breakfast and coffee in the morning. Then... These were those kind of friends. They knew Jesus not only as Savior, but they knew him in the intimacy of that. And they were believers in Christ. And yet we see that there's a hurt and a vulnerability that comes in their world. And, and for a moment we see that they kind of have this Jesus that they want instead of the Jesus that they need. Now how does that work? Look at John 11.1. 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And so we, we get this, okay, here's the people. that we, we know the intimacy of this relationship. And, and they get news that Lazarus is sick. And look how they send it. Look at verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you, what? You love. We know that you love him. They're not doubting the love of God. The, the Lazarus, the one that you love, he, he's ill. Now, I say that because this is a foundational kind of understanding for this passage. It's a foundational understanding of the Jesus that we want as opposed to sometimes the Jesus that really that we need. Because the Jesus that we want is to really to rescue us from immediate needs. That when dilemmas and challenges come up, I mean, is this a legitimate dilemma for Mary and Martha? That their brother that they love is sick? And we'll find out is really deathly sick. That, that's not a bad prayer request. There's no evil for them sending word to Jesus saying, Hey, Jesus, 
the, Lazarus, the man that you love, he's sick, very sick. And yet they send that message with the hopes that Christ will come and respond to the need that's there. And so basically say, go get Jesus. There's not anything really confusing about that. But then go to verse 4 and it says, but then Jesus heard it. uh, But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Do you think that verse right there applies to your life. Are there going to be times in your life that you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't even want it, and yet God is doing something in your life, your family's life, for his glory, and really for for your good, in, in the big picture. And yet in the small picture, all you see is the hurt. I mean, Mary and Martha, they're hurt. Their brother that they love is deathly sick. To the point where they know that Jesus can. They have great faith. Go get Jesus. I mean, he's healed the blind. He's he's made the, the leper clean. The lame walk. Jesus can fix this. And yet, because Jesus has the ability to fix it, is there a part of us, guys, in just in honesty, that when we have sincere and genuine things, that we pray for God to fix it? And we really want that Messiah to come and fix that immediate thing in our life. It's legit. No, no sin here. I don't see anything that they've done that is bad. And, and so we see that Jesus is this, says, this illness does not lead to death. Is this a fatal sickness or not? Well, you know, does Jesus have inside medical information that, that everybody else doesn't have? Well, he is ill. He is going to die. And yet we have to read the rest of the story to see what Jesus was really talking about. Go down to verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And it's this delay, this hesitation, that's not a lack of love. I mean, verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Lazarus and he loves the sisters. And yet he delays. But his delay is not without purpose and it's not without design. And it's not to cause confusion. Even the disciples don't get it. Look at verse 7 and 8. Then after he said this, you know, that he's going to wait two more days, uh, he said to the disciples, let us go to the Judea again. They wait two days and now they're ready to go. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? So now you have a dilemma on their side. They're going, okay, we're out here kind of safe. All the authorities can't find us. And and now you're talking about going back into this area to go see Lazarus now, where you know that the authorities, the spiritual authorities, want to kill you. Folks, there's confusion everywhere as a part of this, and yet we see that Christ is being very, very strategic. The the disciples have no desire to, to die, Jesus said that, you know, Lazarus had fallen asleep. If you read the rest of the text, there's 44 verses here. We're not going to be able to go through every single one of the verses in, in a matter of 30 minutes. But basically, you go read the text, they're going, oh, if he's just sleeping, let him sleep. He'll get well. But Jesus was meaning by that sleep that he had died. John 14, uh, 11, 14, and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
Now look at verse 15, guys. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. A couple questions. Could Jesus have healed Lazarus from afar? Could he have received information from Mary and Martha that Lazarus was sick? And and really, could he have known that on his own? He's God. And said, okay, he's going to be healed. I I heal him from five miles away, 20 miles away, 2,000 miles away. Yes, of course he could. And yet there's a delay, there's a death. Now they're going to go, and he tells them, I've done all this for a purpose. How easy is it to trust the plans and the ways of a loving God when you don't understand it? I I know the pious answer. I, I know the Sunday school. Well, we just need to trust Jesus. Has anybody ever told you to trust Jesus in the middle of your nightmare? Was that good advice? Yes. Is it hard to do? Just because we're believers, just because we very much believe that God can, when God doesn't, it causes some confusion, some tension in our hearts, in our minds, and we're going, okay, God, I thought that you would want to heal, uh, in this case, Lazarus. I mean, he's provided a space for you every time you come into town. He's, you've ate at his table. You, you've, why would you not do this? If you can... then why don't you? Could Jesus right now take his holy hand, sweep it over your life, and rid you of every ill, every bump, every twist in the road that is confusing to you? Can Jesus do that? Yeah. And yet he doesn't. Great philosophers, great theologians have said, okay, either really Jesus can and he doesn't, so he's uncaring, or he can't, and so he's unpowerful, and, and neither is true, folks. He, he loves you. He loved these people. Very few times does it say in the word of God where it says that God loved, Jesus loved specifically a, a person, and yet you look back at verse 5, and he loved Lazarus. He loves Mary and Martha. This is not a matter of love. This is a matter of God working in our lives for his glory and for our maturity and our growth. And yet it will be challenging, and at best it will be confusing. For your sake, so that you may believe. One of the greatest things about walking with Christ for a long period of time, five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, is that you begin to see that God has, as we sang this morning, been faithful. And all of a sudden, we're not judging the actions of God and the things of God in the immediacy, but we're able to say, this would have never happened in my life had this not happened. And we begin to get this rearview mirror kind of wisdom that it can only come with time. If you're in a confusing part of your life right now, and you've prayed specifically to your God, 
for the salvation for a loved one, for the health of a loved one, for your own circumstances, and you're wondering why in the world God has not just answered that, uh, there's a multitude of reasons perhaps. But I know that one of them isn't because God doesn't love you. I'm not wise enough to be able to wrap it up in a tiny little bow and say, okay, here's the one reason. But I do know this. He's sovereign God. And God has a plan for the ages, folks. And there's not one piece of cosmic dust that is not under his control. And there's not one piece of cosmic matter anywhere that God is not working for the purposes of his glory and for his kingdom. And so when confusion comes into my life, even when there are good prayers and we're praying for good things to happen, what we think would be spiritual mountaintops and great experiences, when there's a delay or sometimes even a denial, that's where we have to come back and trust the very character and the very wisdom of God. It's probably one of the most challenging things of our spiritual life. It'd be one thing if we were praying for a brand new red Corvette. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty easy one to say, okay, God, I might not have the greatest motives there. I may just really like red Corvettes. But when we're praying for the salvation of somebody else, when we're praying for the health of someone else, we're praying for difficulties to kind of go away and for things to work out in an orderly fashion, for a marriage to be repaired, it's hard for us to fathom why God doesn't just swoop down and immediately fix all those things. I mean, truly, that is the Messiah that we want. It's so easy to go back historically and look at when Jesus was born and how the Jewish people, they wanted him to come and be this mighty warrior that overthrew the the Roman government. It's so easy to look back and say, okay, this is the Messiah that they wanted. And yet they get this Messiah that's born as a, a child little baby with all the vulnerability of a, of a child. The ways of God are masterful, magnificent, and more than we could ever imagine. And it's easy to give that advice to somebody else who's going through it. Well, just trust God. And it's great advice until you're on the stinging end of that simple challenge to trust God when your life is filled with confusion. Amen? I mean, don't amen just because, but I mean, have you been there before? How simple it is. Hey, just trust God. We're praying for you. Two thumbs up. Look what happens. Jesus and the disciples travel to Bethany. By the time they get there, Jesus, uh, Lazarus had been dead for four days. I won't get into a whole significance there, but that's significant that it was more than three days. Uh, some of the religious leaders of the day believe that the, that the spirit hung over the body for three days and that somebody could kind of, that spirit could kind of come back into the body. They thought it was impossible after four days. And so there's probably some significance that it was four days. In other words, Lazarus by this time is not just dead, folks. He's dead, dead, okay? <laughs> Even when you throw in all the different thoughts of the different religious leaders and the Jewish leaders of the day, he is dead. And look what happens, verse 20 and 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, 
She went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. Is that a statement of faith? Yes. They love Jesus. They have faith in Jesus to the point, hey, if you would have been here, I know that you could have healed him. These are not immature followers of Christ. These are, these are mature followers. She acknowledges that Jesus could have saved him. Even in the next verse, she acknowledges his power. Look at verse 22. But even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. This is a woman of incredible faith. Look at verse 32. We see that Mary, her sister, is the same one. And Mary has this incredible faith. This is the Mary that took the expensive, like a year's worth of, of perfume and, and, and washed Jesus' feet with it. This is a woman who bows down and knows to worship God above all things. This is a mature believer. And yet, look what she says in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. These are not voices of unbelief. These are voices of confusion. Is there a difference between unbelief and confusion in the life of a believer? I'm not trying to place in... You know, semantics here, but folks, there's many times that I'm going to speak out of the confusion of not knowing what God is doing and a desperate need of wanting to know what God is doing in my life. And, and it's not really unbelief. If you would have been here, Jesus, he, he would have been healed. I'm just confused. And part of the challenge of the spiritual walk for us as believers is trusting God in that simplicity when nothing makes sense. In the immediacy around us. Verse 25, 26. This is the, this is the, the center focus of this passage. When she comes out, I know that you could have saved him. I know that you could have saved him. You could have healed him. He could be alive right now. Jesus says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus moves from the physical to the spiritual, from the temporary to to the eternal. This is the Savior that we need, folks. This is the Savior that we need. Is it the Savior that you want? I'm kind of like there with Mary and Martha. Send word, Jesus, SOS, fix this. And then when he doesn't, still showing faith, but, but if you would have been here, you could, you could have fixed this. Martha's saying, even now, I know that if you ask God, he, he can fix this. And all the while, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection life. There's a bigger picture. I want you to go past the moment and I want you to go into eternity. I want you to go past the, the, the physical and I want you to see the spiritual. 
The Savior that we need moves us from physical to spiritual, moves us from temporary to eternity. And he's the one that moves us from death to life. How does the story end? Look at verse 38 and following. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on an account that people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. You know the rest of the story. Verse 43 and 44. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hand and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him, let him go. This is the Savior that we need. What do we learn from this? Well, what do we learn from this, especially in light of the upcoming Advent series, where God is going to provide a wonderful counselor, a Prince of Peace, mighty God. And, and yet it's going to be 800 years between the time of the prophecy and the time of the fulfillment. That God is working his eternal plan, guys. And that there's a trust that we can have in God because we know that this is the very nature of God. This is, that God is not faithful as something that he does. God is faithful because that's his being. Okay? There's a difference of you and I having talents or traits. Do you know that holiness and, and faithfulness and, and Glory and all these things, these are not traits of God. This is who God is. There's a really significant difference between just somebody who shows courage and somebody who is courage. Somebody who shows a moment of holiness or or somebody who is holy. And God is faithful and he is just and he is holy and he is loving and he is working for his glory for the ages. And yet, this week, this very week, you may have a moment, a crisis of belief, as Henry Blackaby used to call it. A time in your life when confusion mounts in your life. And you've cried out to Jesus, heal this, fix this. Not in a selfish way, but in a way that truly is, that you you can't see anything that's not of value there. And yet, God is working so that we might believe. Working for his glory, for our good, but that he would mature us, that he would grow us, that he would allow us to see his wisdom and just have an an infinite trust in him and his ways. In one way, this is so simplistic. Another one, in another way, I believe this is one of the greatest challenges of your spiritual life, my spiritual life. 
I, I'm not really challenged that much when I see things in the Bible that I don't understand. Because when I see things that I don't understand in the Bible, it's like 0.001% of all the things that God makes perfectly clear. Where I'm challenged is when all of a sudden it is that prayer request. That thing that in my mind seems so plausible that God would do. Go tell Jesus that Lazarus, our brother, is dead or, or sick. And then Jesus delays and he gets there. If you would have been here, you could have helped. But even in this moment, you can still help. And yet God working his infinite wisdom for his infinite glory so that we might believe. Can I ask you this this morning? What, what is an area right now that you believe that God is maybe maturing, growing you to trust him? without knowing the answer. Without knowing the the end outcome that's a week away, a month away, a couple years away. That simply God would say, well, God, I know that you can. I mean, that's a person of faith. But God, I trust you. Not if you do it this way or that way. Or you make sense of my life. God, I trust you. If you had that moment this morning, do you think that moment will last till tomorrow? I mean, even if you really embrace it this morning, you go, man, God, I just give you whatever it is. I mean, pick one thing in your mind right now that you've taken before God, and, and then believe you, you think it's a good prayer. You think it's a, a very honoring prayer, a salvation for someone. And, and you've just put that before God, and you're trusting him. Do you think that maybe tomorrow you're going to have to again enter into the trust channel all over again? Yeah. It's a daily walk. It's a daily walk, but he will be faithful, guys. I hope this makes some connection to where you are this morning. I think it will make a connection in the four weeks to come. Because when we start reading about a, a promise of a Savior who's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, you know, we see all these names of Christ. Man, it's, it's like, yes, this is our God. And yet to know that there was 800 years before the prophecy and the fulfillment. And that even when the fulfillment came, it didn't match what they had in mind. Did God send to his people the Savior that they needed? Did he send to them the Savior that they wanted? Not if we're honest. Has he provided to you a a Savior that you really need, even if it isn't the Savior that you can always, you know, understand the ways of what he does? Here's the Savior that he sent. Perfect in every way willing to lay down his life as a payment for your sin. Something that you could never pay back to a holy God. You could never earn righteousness. You could never earn enough, do enough good to earn your way out of the the sin hole that we have. And yet he, he, he gave us a Christ. He gave us a Savior that willingly and purposely as the Bible said, set his mind toward Jerusalem. 
and his whole life was led on target for one purpose, to seek and to save those who are lost, to be the lamb that would be sacrificed so that you and I can have forgiveness. Because we, we may not always have the Messiah, the Savior, that we want at that moment when we're confused and we don't understand why God isn't doing this or doing that, but we have the Savior that we need. And it is done, and it is finished, and this very day, you can rely on it for all eternity. Will you do this for me as we close this morning, as we get a prayer? Will you pick something in your life right now that you're confused about? I mean, truly just spiritually confused. You know God loves you. You believe that he has sent Christ. And yet there's something you've been praying about, and it just seems to be a little, you know, God why are you not acting upon this? And why are you not? Will you take that to God this morning in our, in our prayer time and just say, okay, God, will you develop in me such a childlike faith, such a childlike trust that I can truly, not somebody else say to me, but I, I can hear it from you. Trust me. Trust me. Let's pray. Father God, it's easy to look at Mary and Martha and Father to, to be able to and I said, well, man, of course they should have known this. Or, of course they should Father, how many times have you delayed for the purpose of your glory and the purpose of our growing? How many times, Father, have you not answered from afar because there was something else that you had in mind? Father, help us never to be restricted And thinking that you are somehow not hearing, somehow not willing, somehow, Father, not caring. But when the confusion of our life happens, Father, and, and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed, and we just don't see anything happening. Father, will you give us childlike faith? Not childish faith, but Father, childlike faith. That we could simply, Father, turn, turn our hearts, our minds to you. And say, Father, I trust you. Father, let that be a moment in our lives, even this, in this prayer time now. Father, I trust you with my children. I trust you with my grandchildren. Father, I trust you with my blessed wife. Father, I trust you with this church that you are working and doing things for your glory and Father, for eternal purposes that we may not even fathom. And so, Father, help us to be an encouragement one to another, Father. Help us not to be so pious that we just give a simple, well, you just need to trust God. But Father, will you help us to come beside one another? in the battles of our confusion, while we're waiting four days for Jesus to come, to open up the tombs of our life and bring us out of bondage and bring us to life. Father, help us to encourage one another in the faith. Help us truly to be a great cloud of witnesses 
that speak of your faithfulness, your holiness, your goodness, your sovereignty. And that, Father, that would be enough. So we love you. We give you these things, Father. And we pray that uh, if you want to bring clarity to confusion, wonderful. Father, if you don't, you're enough. Father, you're enough. Thank you for giving us the Messiah that we needed instead of the Messiah that we wanted. And we pray this in his blessed and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.